a prayer or, or, or encourages us, we write them down 90 pages. And I'm not going to have time to share hardly any of that with you today, unfortunately. So this is our testimony of God's faithfulness. My wife apologizes for not being able to be here. Uh, she suffers from post-sepsis syndrome. She went into septic shock three years ago and nearly died. In fact, 90% of the people who, who go that far don't make it. And post-sepsis syndrome is a debilitating chronic condition where you're weak, you're achy. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, some days she can hardly get out of bed. And this past couple days has been one of those episodes. So she feels very bad she couldn't be here. I feel horrible. It was the first time in the nearly seven years I've been to a meeting without my help me. So it was, it was a hard trip. Four and a half hour drive with an empty seat. I'm going to start crying. Excuse me. <laughs> Anyways, pray for her health. Uh, she's such a blessing to me in our ministry. And I hope that we'll be able to come again sometime and that she'll be with me. And you'll see how much she adds to this ministry. But in any event... Our testimony to God's faithfulness. You know, when we think of people who have lived by faith and seen God do great things, we often think of people like the Apostle Paul, uh, George Mueller, D.L. Moody, and others. We don't often look to people in our own day and time as examples. Indeed, we often forget that the same God who used them wants to use us. Oftentimes, we don't see God doing great things in our midst because we lack faith. In fact, God's word says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. So faith isn't a wish or a hope-so hope sort of thing. Faith is simply believing God and acting upon what he's called for us to do. But it requires a yielded heart. And I believe this is the number one problem in American Christians and churches uh, today. A yielded heart. What does that mean? It means, God, here am I, send me. It means, God, I belong to you, my wife belongs to you, my children belong to you, my house, my, my possessions belong to you, my job, everything I have is yours, Lord. So, that being the case, you tell me, Lord, what you want me to do with it. And we're afraid to do that because God might ask us to do something we don't want to do. And I honestly believe, as I preach throughout the United States, I'm, I'm talking to people, and there are people in the audience, that God intended to be a missionary in the Philippines. Or, or, or in Africa, or a pastor, or some other role. God, God called them, but their, their spiritual antenna weren't up because they just like living the happy, comfortable American life, and the antenna went down. They jumped through all the hoops. They look good, but they're far from God's will. I believe our churches are filled with people like that. And I believe that the reason our, our, our churches are not impacting our nation for Christ is because we lack a yielded heart. Now, our experience by serving God through our living history ministry speaks to the fact that God still blesses those who step out in faith and follow him whithersoever he leads us. So our text for this morning is Hebrews chapter 11, verses 8 through 10. Hebrews 11, 8 through 10. Hebrews 11, 8 through 10. By faith, Abraham when he was called to go out to a place which he should have to receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whether he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity to present your word and our testimony. Lord, I ask you to forgive me my sins and fill me with your spirit. Help me to be empty of self all through this day, Lord. Help this testimony to encourage people to step out in faith and yield more of their lives to you, Lord. Father, I wish I had more time to give you the glory and honor you deserve. 
But I ask that Christ be magnified through this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Amen. All right, I like that. I always tell people when I'm preaching, if you, hey, if you like something I say, amen. If you don't, you have the right to remain silent. Okay. I was a peace officer at one time as well as a teacher, so I have it all, all the bases are covered here. So in May of 2011, Jennifer and I became missionaries with Amazing Grace Mission. They're an independent Baptist ministry out of Dayton, Tennessee, and Amazing Grace Mission missionaries set up soul-winning booths at fairs, farm shows, and flea markets. Uh, if you've ever been to a fair and seen a soul-winning booth, they have a three-door unit that says, see three things God cannot do. The first door you open it up says, God cannot lie. The next one, God cannot change. The third door says, God cannot let you into heaven unless you're born again. And we use that as a tool to bring people to Christ. And so if you've ever been to a fair or something and seen that, that's, that's an amazing Grace Mission uh, booth. So we became missionaries with them in May of 2011. There's about 230 missionaries around the world, and upwards of 50 to 100,000 people are saved every year through that ministry. Remarkable ministry. At that time, I knew God was calling me to full-time ministry, and I thought that he would have us to work with Amazing Grace Mission, winning souls and fairs throughout the country as a full-time ministry. Now, at the time, I was a remote employee for GE Healthcare, so I could work anywhere. I figured I could work by day and raise support monthly by night and on weekends. You know, the independent Baptists don't have a cooperative program. They raise money for missions, mission work by going to different churches, presenting their work, and hopefully people will take you on for monthly support. And it might be $20 a month, it might be $100 a month. Sometimes it can literally take two or three years. So there's definite advantages to the cooperative program. Uh, but on the other hand, you get to know the missionaries in an intimate way when they're going around to the churches. So there's advantages to both. But that's how, that's my plan was, okay, we're going to, I work by, by day for GE, and at night I can go on deputation on, on, on Wednesday evenings and weekends and try to raise support. I figured we'd sell our house and car and buy a pickup truck and a fifth wheel, and we'd live in that. And it didn't matter to me if it took two or three years to raise the support. I had a full-time job. So that was my plan. That was my plan. <laughs> okay. Well, in September of 2011, God closed the door on my plan. Only a few churches allowed us to present our ministry, and sadly, almost none were interested in supporting a soul-winning ministry. I actually had churches say to me, if you're not going to a foreign country to plant churches, we don't even want you to come speak. Uh, in the, bo the book of Acts that I have says that half of Paul's ministry was confirming the churches, not just planting new ones. And in my opinion, America's churches need confirming, amen? They need building up. So soul winning is a very important ministry, but that's the sad, that's the sad thing. On top of that, and this is, the, this is the real door closer, I got laid off from GE. That was, that was uh, September. I got laid off. So I couldn't get into any churches to speak, just a couple. I was laid off, so there went my, my plan to go on deputation and be a missionary with Amazing Grace. Now, I was out of work for a year, and during that time, I started pastoring a small church in northern Vermont. That was in April 2012. I was their interim pastor for a year and a half, helping them build a strong Christ-centered foundation, and then I understood why God closed the door to Amazing Grace Mission at that time. Now, in the summer of 2013, I felt God was moving. I had gotten another secular job in September 2012, one that was boring and unfulfilling. It was a spiritually dark environment, and my burden for the loss increased ever, even more. So here I am, if you can imagine, a Baptist preacher working in an office complex. It's wide open. 
there's not even any cubicles, clusters of desks. And I can hear these people, their conversations throughout the day. And they're using the most vulgar language, talking about the television programs that are on. Now, I hadn't watched sitcom, sitcoms since Home Improvement, <laughs> right? And things have gone downhill a lot since then, right? And I was listening to this filthy talk all day, and I, I was like, because I hadn't watched TV in years. Uh, and so the Lord, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, Dan, this is America. I was just like, this is incredible. And so God started burdening my heart for my country. And seeing how people, and by the way, there were, Vermont is the most spiritually dark state in America. That's not a, a, an opinion, it's a statistical fact, all the surveys. There are fewer religious people in Vermont. But the homosexual movement is on fire there. In fact, there were, there were several married couples in our workplace. You know, I don't understand why, but the management tripped over themselves trying to make them happy and accommodate them, but they weren't very friendly to this Baptist preacher for some reason. I don't know. Can never figure that out, you know? But uh, that, was the, that was what I was seeing, and God gave me a, a burden for my country. But more specifically, God gave me a burden to reach Christians in America for Christ. Why? Because I believe God is judging our nation because of our unfaithfulness. But how could I get this message out? Well, a friend of mine named Paul Cornelius, I had met him through Amazing Grace Mission a couple years earlier, and we, did, we discussed uh, our, our, our aspirations, and I said, Brother Paul, I, I feel God calling me in the ministry to reach American Christians. I said, but uh, when I tried to do Amazing Grace Mission a couple years ago, God closed the door, and he said, Brother Dan, he said, look, he said, uh, I tried to start a soul winning ministry as well, and it didn't work. He said, but then I launched Days of Noah Ministry. If you go to daysofnoahministries.org, or I, I think it was the website, he has a creation ministry. Where he, goes, he goes around with a little model of Noah's Ark and teaches about creation. You'd be surprised how many Christians can't explain creation. He said, God suddenly opened doors, and then I was able to do some soul winning in churches. So he said, Brother Dan, you need to come up with something other than soul winning to get your foot in the door. He said, what about your stewardship ministry? We have a stewardship ministry teaching people to be faithful stewards with what God's given them, right? I said, Brother Paul, that's even less popular than soul winning. <laughs> so I prayed and prayed about what God would have us to do, and I had always pondered doing something with living history. As a former history teacher, I love the colonial American period, and Jennifer, my wife, had been doing living history for the colonial period with her father since she was a little girl. I mean, she was an exchange student at John State College of Vermont where I was getting my teaching degree, and I walked her back to her dorm room the day I met her. We've been together since the day we met. It's an awesome love story. I could make a Hollywood movie out of it. But that's another story, right? I walked her back to her room, and, 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 and there was a picture on the wall of her in colonial outfit with a guy in colonial outfit with his arm around, around her, and my first question was, who's that guy? It's just my dad. I went, but it was like love at first sight. Not only is she beautiful, but she loved colonial America. And she loved, I was like, wow. We've been together, literally we've been together ever since. Well, as soon as she and I were married in 1997, we started doing living history with her father, Walt, at Roaring Camp in Felton, California. And since that time, we've done living history presentations at rendezvous, schools, churches, and museum and historic sites. So as my burden to see a third great awakening in America continue to grow, God laid it on my heart to use our living history ministry background and my experience as a history teacher to communicate about our nation's Christian foundations, why we're no longer a Christian nation, and how to see revival. 
We were driving down the road, and I told Jennifer, I said, I think I know what the Lord wants us to do for a ministry. She said, what? I said, living history. She said, Dan, shivers just went down my spine. I said, I'll take that as a confirmation from the Holy Spirit. Amen. So by the end of the summer of 2013, we were ready to launch. Now, Brother Paul, after I talked to him about it, he had, I had talked to him about how he had raised support, and he didn't raise support. He stepped out on faith. Him and his seven kids sold his house, quit his job, seven kids, 12-passenger van, because you need a van that big for seven kids, and a little trailer towing a model Noah's Ark, $2,000 in the bank. That was it. They launched. And when I first met him at Amazing Grace a couple years earlier at the missions conference, I, was, I heard his testimony. I was amazed. I had never heard of a missionary just stepping out in faith like that, leaving everything behind and just going. I told Brother Paul about my plans. Yeah, God gave me what we're going to do. Brother Paul said, how are you going to pay for it? I said, I don't know. I guess I'll go on deputation. He said, how'd that work for you two years ago? I said, not very good. He said, Brother Dan, has God called you to this work? I said, yes. He said, why don't you do what my family and I did? Step out in faith. I didn't want to hear that. I really didn't. But I got to thinking about it. I said, you know what, Lord? Paul's right. If, you, if you're calling me to this, then you're going to take care of me. Now, it's one thing to say that about somebody else, okay? It's another thing to apply it to yourself. So I said, Lord, I'll step out in faith and follow you. Okay? I just, I need some affirmations. Two years ago, I thought this was you and, and you closed the door. I need some affirmations. I'm not telling you, I'm not testing you, Lord. I just need you to show me this is really you. And if you'll do that, I'll go. I had seven big prayer requests, okay? And I didn't need all of them to be answered at once. But I said, God, these are the seven things my family and I need. Number one, we need an RV to live in and some place to live in the interim. Second, we need to replace our vehicle with one more suitable to towing a RV. I mean, I had a uh, Ford, one of those Ford station wagons there, or like a Taurus or something, whatever it is. Uh, you could probably mount a fifth wheel hitch to the roof, but I'm not sure how long you would have the roof, you know. We need to sell our personal possessions. Now, we've already done a lot of that through our stewardship project, trying to minimize stuff, but you'd be surprised how much stuff you have as an American, okay? I needed to know when to resign from my secular work. Remember, I had that really rotten job. We need to sell our house. We needed churches to minister in, and we need a place to store those things that we would not be able to sell, like personal items. So we presented our petitions to God and waited patiently for him to work. In August of 2013, God answered the first of the seven requests for me, the one that I thought would be last. Can anybody guess which one that was? Nope. Now think about, what? Quit your job. Out of all those, I think, I have a wife and kids to support. What are you going to do? Well, I'm going to quit my job. No, God said, quit your job. And he made it clear. I mean, I won't go into the details because if I go into details, I don't have time to, to do the other stuff. But I mean, it was so clear. It was like God's hand was just touching me and saying, get out of this wicked place. I called my wife up during lunch. And I said, Jen, God wants me to quit today. And she said, okay. Now understand, we have no savings. I have one more paycheck coming in. You know, a couple, I, I actually gave him three and a half weeks notice so I could get my ducks in a row. But uh, there was one week's paycheck coming in after that. So September 3rd was my last day of secular work, and that's when I launched this ministry. Okay? 
So I quit my job. So we'd have no income apart from God's provision. Now, two weeks after I was done work, and we were wondering how are we going to pay our bills, we got a check in the mail for $5,700 from a couple that goes to our home church who heard about what we're doing. God gave them a large amount of money, and they said, Brother Dan, we want to support your work. I mean, this was out of the blue, $5,700. That paid, basically paid our way for the first three months of our ministry. And when I, when I opened the envelope and saw that check, I, have you ever seen that, that movie, Facing the Giants? When all God starts answering these prayers, is coming together, and he's just, he's weeping, he's saying, God, you're so good. I had one of those moments. I, it, was, it, was, it was not like, I can't believe this is happening, because I, God's never faithful. No, it was, I can't believe this is happening to me. That God has called me, I've answered, and now he's showing himself to be a mighty God. Now, I want you to understand, to this day, we've never gone on deputation. I've never told a church we visit, you have to pay me X amount. I have pastors ask me, How, what are we, we, we going to give you when you got? I said, brother, that's between you and the Holy Spirit. We make our living doing this, so trust me, you'll never send us away with too much, all right? But I never have insisted on compensation, not schools, not churches, nowhere we've gone, okay? And God has richly provided through his people, through his churches. And you know... The second prayer request God answered so miraculously was just as big. It was in regards to our house. August 20th, 2013, it was a Tuesday. We listed our house with a realtor. That Saturday was the first day of the fair in Essex Junction, Vermont, where, I, where I'm from. And I was managing the fair for Amazing Grace Mission. Had the soul winning booth set up, winning souls to Christ. And there was a lull in the action. I get a phone call on my, on my cell phone. In fact, that reminds me, i got to turn my cell phone off so I don't get a phone it's embarrassing when the preacher's phone rings. It's even more embarrassing when you're an 18th century preacher, okay? That's, uh, you can feign ignorance, but they really know you know, right? So that Saturday, on that amazing grace, there's a load in the action. I get a phone call. It's my realtor. He says, Dan, we've just sold your house. Four days. One by one, God answered each of these remaining requests. He helped us sell and give away most of our possessions. How many of you have had a yard sale before? At the end of eight hours, you shake the coffee can, you got like 20 cents in there, and you're like, why did I sit here for eight hours for this? You know what I'm talking about? The first Saturday we did this, we made 348 bucks. The next Saturday we did it again, made almost as much. I was utterly amazed. I had never seen a yard sale this successful. He provided profits, chambers, and mission houses for us to live in. You know, the funny thing is, we're a week and, week and a half away from closing on our house sale, and it occurred to me, I haven't got any place to live. That's kind of important, you know. I was so busy getting stuff ready for the ministry and getting ready to launch, I forgot that I had to make some kind of a housing arrangement. <laughs> I called the mission's house in Virgen's, uh, 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 Victory Baptist Church in Virgen's Vermont. My pastor said they had a, a mission's uh, house, and... I called Brother Tim Taylor. He said, Brother Tim, can we come stay at your prophet's chamber? He said, when do you need it? I said, in a week and a half. How long do you need it for? About five weeks. He said, Brother Dad, my mission's house is always filled this time of year. I don't think I have an opening. So he went and checked his calendar. He came back to the phone. He said, I don't believe it. It's wide open. It's yours. So right there was our first home after we were homeless. 
that God made provision. And in April of 2014, six months into our ministry, God provided us with a brand new 2014 fifth wheel. By the way, I'm trying to sell it, okay? I have flyers on the table. If you're interested in a beautiful fifth wheel, please let me know. Uh, and the reason it's so important is because until, not only do I have a mortgage to pay now, we have a home. We're headquartered in Linden, Texas, uh, but I'm paying a mortgage and a, a, a second mortgage for the fifth wheel. Uh, as soon as we sell it, I'm going to buy a small travel trailer. So wherever we go, we have an overnight hotel room on wheels for my wife and I. Uh, so pray with us that we can sell that fifth wheel. But at the time we got the fifth wheel, it was a miracle in and of itself. In fact, we were ministering at a Southern Baptist uh, Church's homeschool program for the summer. I told the head deacon about what we're doing and how we were looking for you know, an RV. And he said, uh, Brother Dan, my, my son, who's also a deacon at this church, works at Camping World in Tampa or Orlando. One, I can't remember which town it was. But he said, you go see him. I'll tell him you're coming. He'll help you out. I, I, was, I had like $3,000 saved up. I'm thinking, what am I going to get for $3,000, right? I'm picturing this old beat-up travel trailer, right? It's like... So I go there, and uh, the, his, his son introduces me to a, a Christian salesman named John. John says, Brother Dan, what are you looking for? I said, well, this is what we'd like to have, like a big fifth wheel with some slides so we have a little bit of elbow room. There are five of us going to be living this full time. Uh, master bedroom on one end, bunkhouse on the other end for the boys. Okay, Dan, let me see what we can do for you. Here, fill out this credit application. I'm like, he said, trust me, just fill it out. So I fill out the credit application. He comes back, he says, Brother Dan, we can get you in this brand new 2014 fifth wheel for your $3,000 down. And listen, and no job verification. Now, I want you to understand how important that is. I've never heard of that before, by the way, with a loan. Okay? Imagine me going to a bank and being modest in my ambitions for a house. I would be looking for a used RV. So the banker would say to me, uh, Dan, uh, how long, what do you do for a living? I'm a missionary in the United States. How long have you been doing this? Six months. What is your income? I have none. Oh, sure. Here's $30,000. So they, I got this loan from Bank of America with, with, with just based on our credit. I'd never heard of that. I said to my preacher, I said, I said, Brother Gangwer, should I do this? I feel awkward going into debt. He said, Brother Dan, this is like your house, like a mortgage. People don't buy a house with cash. Now, understand, even my home church, my sending church, had not taken us on for monthly support. Brother Gangwer assumed that since we were stepping out on faith, we didn't want monthly support. I said, Brother Gangwer, I never said that. <laughs> but he was in Indiana at the time. He said, Brother Dan... Buy, buy the fifth wheel. When I get back to Vermont, I'm going to talk to the men of the church, see what we can do to help you out. So again, stepping on in faith, we did that. Two months later, or a month later, we got checking them out for $2,150. He said, Brother Dan, the church is taking you on for $150 a month to help with half of your, your uh, mortgage payment. And here's $2,000. Get what you and your family need for the fifth wheel. And I automatically bought a washer and dryer and installed that in the fifth wheel. So we, we had a washer and dryer there. So getting the fifth wheel was a miracle. He provided us with free storage. Brother Paul, my ministry partner, the, the days of Noah guy, he, had, he was headquartered in Virginia. He had an office space there where I could store our stuff. And the first five churches in Vermont I called and shared about our work, four of them scheduled us like that. The fifth one wanted to, but he was booked up already. It was short notice, like within weeks. So God started opening the door. So one by one, those seven prayer requests, bam, 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 bam. And it was just amazing to see God work like this. It was utterly amazing. So now I want to share some highlights with you about what's happened since we launched, okay? And this is what would take me three hours, four hours, five hours, okay? And I've got uh, 
about 20 minutes left, so I'm going to give you the best I can here, okay? In December of 2013, we had moved to Virginia. Now, here's the neat thing about being in, in the faith, right? I've only known Brother Paul for a couple years. He's, he's got a home in Virginia where we're going to, that's going to be our headquarters because Paul's there. I was like Barnabas. Lord, where do I go? Follow Paul, right? So Paul's in Virginia. That's where we're going to headquarter. I said, Paul, I have no place to stay. He said, stay in my house. I'm going to be in Texas in our travel trailer ministering. I'll leave you the key. Just go stay in my house till I get back. Now imagine that. I mean, where would this happen? Here's a guy I've only spent, you know, seven or eight hours with the missions, the missions conference a couple years earlier. He leaves me the key to his house. I mean, that's, that's the family of God, amen? I mean, that's the beauty of being a Christian. So we stayed at Brother Paul's house, and when he came back, I said, Brother Paul, now where do we live? Uh, he said, well, I know a, a preacher in, uh, uh, I can't remember, it's, it was in Western Virginia, uh, Cedar Bluff, I think. But anyways, they let us stay in their missions house for like two and a half months. We went to many churches that led dozens of people to Christ, and they gave us a house to live in. You know, every time you give to the work of the ministry, whether it's letting somebody stay in your place or whether it's finances, whatever, you're, you're part of the harvest of souls that get saved. And I want to thank Ellie and Jeffy for letting us stay in their pool house. You know, I felt bad my wife couldn't be with me. She's from Santa Cruz, California, so she loves the ocean. And she, if she saw this pool house, man, she would have just, oh. And, and not only do they have a pool, but it's a salt water pool. I mean, I, I would have had a hard time keeping that fish out of the water, I'll tell you. Anyways, in December of 2013, we're staying in this prophet's chamber in Virginia, and we were low on money. Now, this is a common theme, unfortunately, sometimes of missionaries. It's not because God's not faithful, by the way. It's because God's Holy Spirit speaks, and people don't give. Okay? Uh, you know, it takes two people to, to be successful in missions, the one to leave on faith and those to give in faith. All right? And we were low on money, and I said, Lord, I have bills to pay. I need, I need money. And it wouldn't come. It wouldn't come. It wouldn't come. Well, one of the few things I took with me on our missions trip was my dad's deer rifle, Savage Model 99, 308 Winchester. Any deer hunters around here? Okay. Now, that deer rifle I inherited from my dad when he passed away, and I remember from a little tyke, dad going deer hunting, he'd come home, lean the rifle up in the corner, and I just couldn't wait to be old enough to go deer hunting with dad. And that time came and went, and you know I, I hunted with my dad for many years, and now I had his deer rifle with me in the little steel cabinet I brought with me. And I walked past that steel cabinet, and something spoke to my mind and said, sell the rifle. I went, huh? And I prayed, God, we need money, we need money. God. I walked past it, sell the rifle. And, you know, when the Holy Spirit speaks to a Christian who's, who doesn't want to hear what he's saying, it's kind of like a mosquito. Where'd that come from? And this went on for like a week and a half, and finally I just said, okay, Lord, if that's you speaking to me, okay, I will sell Dad's gun. I'm not happy about it, Lord, but if that's what you want me to do, I'll do it. So I placed an ad in a local paper. This fellow called me up and said, you know, my 13-year-old son needs a deer rifle. And I said, okay, come on over, take a look at it. And as he was on his way over, I was tormented. You know, when you have something dear to you that you got from somebody who was very dear to you and they're gone now, you don't really want to get rid of it. And this guy knocks on the door. I open the door. Now, this is, now forgive me, but I am a Yankee from Vermont, okay? I, knocked on, I opened the door, and there was this guy that looked like he was from Duck Dynasty. Long beard. 
southern accent. So I invited him in, and I, you know, I, I tried to turn the conversation towards spiritual things when I have an opportunity to talk with strangers. So I said, Cedric, let me explain to you why I'm selling this gun, because I really don't want to. And I shared about the work God called us to do. Now, being a Yankee and coming to the South, uh, it's my understanding that everyone in the South is already saved, right? You know, what I'm, you know what I'm talking about? Okay. And as I'm talking to this guy, the Holy Spirit pricked my heart and said, just outright ask him. I said, Cedric, let me ask you a question. Have you ever accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Now, remember, I just got to tell me about our ministry. I'm not kidding you. This guy hung his head with a look of shame like I've rarely seen. And he said, no, sir, I have to admit I never have. I said, Cedric, could I get my Bible and show you some verses? He said, yes, sir, I'd appreciate that. I went and got my Soul Winner's New Testament and shared Christ with Cedric and his 13-year-old son. And right there in that prophet's chamber, he bowed his knee with tears falling, accepted Christ as his Savior. And his son did too. Both of them got saved right there in that living room. And you know, when I, when I tell the story now of selling a personal possession I didn't want to get rid of, it brings joy to my heart, not sorrow. Because two men are on their way to heaven because I obeyed the Holy Spirit. And I wonder, in my life, how many people are on the road to hell now because I did not obey the Holy Spirit. Besides that, I was able to tell Cedric, now I can give you the family discount. <laughs> In February 2014, before, this is before we got our fifth wheel, we're staying in a prophet's chamber in uh, St. Petersburg, two and a half hours away at, at uh, Cornerstone Baptist Church, Lakewood, Florida. There's a children's presentation on a Wednesday night we're supposed to go to. Now, one thing about missionaries is, you know, the missionaries are so much holier than everybody else, right? Well, my wife and I were arguing like cats and dogs. There was dissension in the family. It was, it, it was, it, we were running late. I had trouble with the truck. It was a 25-year-old F-350, which God gave us in Virginia, which was a blessing because we knew when we got whatever we were going to pull with it, it would pull it. But it was an old 25-year-old beater. I mean, talk about a money pit. Anyways, everything that could go wrong was going wrong, and I was running late. We got in there. We started heading for this meeting, and then it starts raining. If you're ever driven from St. Petersburg to Orlando, you know there's a, like, a, like a land bridge going through the ocean. You can't like just pass or take a detour. And there was road construction. Everything that could go wrong was going wrong. You ever watch the Flintstones? Get the little devil Fred and the little angel Fred there, you know? Well, that devil Dan was going to work on me, I'll tell you. You're going to be late. What a disgrace. Just call the preacher and cancel. You aren't going to make it. And I, I, I almost grabbed my cell phone. And this went on like three times as I'm driving. And finally, I pick up the phone. And I call him. I said, brother, I'm so sorry. We're going to be late. He said, Dan, that's okay. Just take, get, get here when you can. So we pulled up, grabbed our stuff. Now, we're already dressed in most of our gear. We pulled up, grabbed our stuff, went inside, got the rest of it on just to where we're ready to go on, and they finished singing the last song. I mean, it was, it was like one of those comedy routines, like... Yeah, I had it all planned, yeah. Folks, 13 kids got saved that night. 
If I had listened to the devil instead of the Lord, those kids would not have gotten saved. April 2014, now we've got our fifth wheel, brand new. Staying at a church down in St. Petersburg. Headed from Montgomery, Alabama to do some presentations at a Christian school, a big Christian school. Now, my dad's sister, Lorraine, and her, her uh, husband, my Uncle Dennis, Aunt Lorraine and Uncle Dennis, lived in Panama City, which is about the halfway point between Central Florida and Montgomery. And I love visiting with Aunt Lorraine and Uncle Dennis. They're great folks. They're Catholic folks. I try to be a witness for Christ. Uh, Uncle Dennis, very conservative, loves to hunt. He and my dad, big-time deer hunters in the old days, you know. My dad used to joke, Uncle Dennis walks in the woods, the deer smell him, and they come running. You know, he had deer rifles where he got 100 deer with that one rifle. I mean, the guy was just incredible. So I love spending time with him. So I call up all the range and say, hey, can we stay for a couple days at the halfway point? Yeah, come on, we'd love to have you. They have a beautiful, beautiful piece of property with a swimming pool and plants around it, and the, the RV hookups are right in front of the pool. And I took a picture out the back of our window. It looked like we're at a resort. I said, I'm going to share this with people. Say, see what a wonderful life we have as missionaries? Because, you know, 99% of the time when we stay someplace in that fifth wheel, we were butt up against a church with a brick wall five feet away. That was a typical scenery, you know. So this was really nice. Now, I, now, I didn't have any meetings scheduled because I, I just wasn't able to get any meetings for that Sunday. But that Sunday morning, I got up looked at my checkbook, and there was like $11 in the checkbook. And we needed diesel fuel for that truck to get to, to Montgomery. And we didn't have anywhere near enough money to fill that truck. And we had no meetings. So we couldn't expect any donations. So I got down on my knees again. I said, Lord, i got to get to this place in Montgomery, Alabama tomorrow morning. And I said, I have no money. I can't afford to put fuel in the truck. I said, Lord, I need your help. I don't know how you're going to do it. We don't even have any meetings scheduled today. Well, that morning there was a Baptist church across the street from my aunt and uncle's house. I went and visited there, and we had fellowship, morning service, shared about our work. Nothing really came of it. That afternoon, in, in, the, in the beautiful pool area, they had a screen-in pool porch. Like I was visiting with my aunt and uncle. My cousin Brenda and her husband Fred were visiting. I hadn't seen her in like 30 years. And she had just been married to this guy for about five years, so I'd never met Fred. Trying to be a faithful witness to all these Catholic folk, I started sharing with Fred about my ministry. He sat across the table, the picnic table from me. And I kid you not, tears started to swell up in this guy's eyes. I thought, that was kind of a strange reaction. And he looked at me and he said, Dan, I used to be a Baptist preacher. I got angry at God and I walked away. But what you're doing is a good thing. Well, when we parted company around 2 or 3 that afternoon, he shook my hand and he gave me what I call the missionary handshake. That's where a green piece of paper is folded up and he puts it in your hand, you put it in your pocket, and you hope it's not a double mint wrapper. Okay? <laughs> I actually had a preacher do that to me after I told this story. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, of course, you know, it's, 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 you just put it in your pocket. You don't look at it. I got to the fifth wheel, opened it up. It was a $100 bill. I want you to go, what a miracle this is now, all right, that God brought all this together. That night, we went to Lighthouse Baptist Church in Panama City. Brother uh, Daly is a pastor there. I shared before the service about what we do. I'm sitting there in the service, getting ready to watch this guy preach. He gets up and he goes, we have a missionary in the audience today. He said, Brother Dan Sharon, good to have you. Hey, Brother Dan, you ready to preach the word? I was like, in my mind, I'm going, no. But my lips said, yes. So between, the, between the, the, the pew and the pulpit, God gave me the message, which is essentially what I'm sharing with you right now, our testimony. When we were done preaching, 
When I was done preaching, the preacher gave me a check for $200. He said, Brother Dan, Steve is going to take you to the fueling station to top off your fuel tank for you. So I woke up that morning with $11 in change in my checking account with no earthly idea of how I was going to get to Montgomery, Alabama. And by the end of the day, God had given me the equivalent of $365 worth, worth cash and, and checks and, and fuel. But that's not the end of this story. Because when we got to Montgomery, Alabama, Lighthouse Christian Academy, 46 kids accepted Christ as their Savior. Amen. I got 10 minutes left, right? 2014, Champlain Valley Fair in Essex Junction, we went back to our home church for a year anniversary. At the fair, we had 22 saved at the fair. I want you to know that at its, at its peak, we had 124 saved at that fair. And after Vermont passed the gay marriage law, there was a darkness and a pall on that land. I can't explain to you. The year I did the fair after they passed the gay marriage, there was a darkness. I could feel it. And, and, it was, and, the, and the number of salvations just plummeted. Just plummeted. And homosexuals would walk past our booth, couples, and they would just stand there and look at us with daggers in their eyes. They hate the light of Christ. September 2014, we're on our way to Texas. We've now relocated to Texas. See, Brother Paul has some family in Texas, and the Discovery Center Museum, which which is a creation museum, Paul is helping out with that music, so he felt God leading him to Texas. I'm like, who do I know in Virginia, for crying out loud? Paul's gone now, right? So I said, Lord, what do we do? And the Lord said, follow Paul. So we're going to move to Texas. Yeehaw, right? I, I have no idea where I'm going when I get there, but God wants us in Texas, so we're going to go. I got this 25-year-old F-350, right? Started having transmission trouble before we left Vermont. We have 2,000 miles to go to get to, uh, where was it, Abilene, Texas, where we're going. Now, the Creation Center folks had paid for us to have an RV park for a week when we got there, so we had a place to land. <clears throat> so I, have, I want you to imagine this. I have four 500-mile legs to this trip to get from Vermont to Abilene. How many of you have driven a huge fifth wheel or camper before? Okay. It's a lot of work. Take me an hour to get set up and ready to leave, an hour and a half to get set up when I get there, not counting the drive time. To go 500 miles in one day, you're talking about a 16 or 17 hour day. We would stay at an RV park. I'd take my shower that night, exhausted. The next day we'd sleep in and rest. And then the day after that, we'd start another 500 mile leg. Now the third leg of the trip was in Arkansas. We actually had a church meeting scheduled. So we're driving, we're driving, and, and this thing starts losing transmission fluid like it's going out of style. And I'm praying, God, please, we've got to get to this, got to get to this third meeting, God, this third stop. We have a meeting, God, we've got to get there, we've got to get there. And we're going down the roads, we're in somewhere in western Tennessee. Now understand that to us, the fifth wheel at that time is our house. Okay? Imagine driving down a public road with your house behind you. Right? That's how it feels. Every time I got behind the wheel and started to go someplace, I'd be like, Lord, please, don't let a tractor trailer run down the middle of my house. <laughs> Just oh, all kinds of awful things you go through your head when your house is on the road with you. And we're driving down the road, and we're losing, fuel, we're, we're losing transmission fluid. We're losing it. We're losing it. I stop at a rest area, 
and I'm pouring transmission fluid in, and some Chevy guy walks by. He goes, what's the problem? I said, uh, losing transmission fluid. Ah, I should have bought a Chevy. <laughs> and I'm usually pretty quick-witted on my feet, right? But he ran around the corner before it came to me to say, I couldn't find one this old. <laughs> but it was too late. He was already gone. So I'm driving down the road. We're losing transmission fluid. I've got to get some transmission fluid, Jen. There's, there's a uh, gas station up ahead. We'll pull off. I, pull, I go into the gas station. We don't sell transmission fluid. What? What kind, of, what kind of gas station doesn't sell transmission fluid? He said, well, there's a dollar store across the street. Try that. I'm like, thanks. Yeah, dollar store. I walk into the dollar store, and I kid you not, they had that, the cheap brand of F transmission fluid, like 13 cases of it. Or 13 bottles, I, I grab all this transmission fluid and go to the counter and pay for it. And the guy's looking at me, what? My wife has a picture of me outside the dollar store pouring transmission fluid in the... So then we're going down the road further. We're in western Tennessee, and blue smoke starts coming out. And being the spiritual guy that I am, I looked at my wife and I said, I hope that's not us. <laughs> but it were. So I saw a TA truck stop up ahead. So I said, I'll pull off there, get some more transmission fluid, and hopefully that'll solve the problem. I get to the end of the off-ramp, look both ways, hit the accelerator pedal, and the speedometer needle went, and the truck did not move. The transmission folks had given up the ghost, and it was pouring all underneath the ground. And I'm just sitting there in the middle of God knows where in Tennessee with my house behind my truck, and I can't move. You ever heard the expression, never seen a grown man cry? That's what I felt like doing. But instead of getting angry, I got out. I made a call to Amazing Grace Mission because Nancy Cook, uh, she's with the Lord now, but she was our prayer warrior. You send her a prayer request, she emails 250 missionaries like that. So I call her up, get her answer machine. Nancy, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Hang up. Now I'm praying, God help me. What am I going to do? I can't move my house. Now, the miracles started coming in one after the other. Miracle number one, without me planning it, there was enough room for the tractor trailers to drive by me. You don't want a tractor trailer stuck behind you on an off-ramp, folks. That would not be a good thing. And they were, I mean, they were one foot away from my living room, but they were going by. Oh, thank you for that. I called the highway patrol. I have these little smiley tracks I always hand out. I give one to the, the, the trooper, and he goes, hey, man, I'm already saved. Praise the Lord, he sent me a saved state trooper. I said, well, i got to call the Good Sand Club. They gave me a free year's membership with my new RV. i got to call the Good Sand Club, right? Hopefully there's a tow truck somewhere nearby, right? So I get on the horn with Good Sam and call, and listen, the tow truck company was 75 yards away on my right. And the guy had a tow truck big enough to tow my truck with the fifth wheel still hooked up. And he was a deacon in the Baptist church. And the transmission repair shop, the guy goes to his church. You know when you get broken down somewhere, you go, boy, these guys are going to take me for a ride. It was a brother in Christ who owned the transmission shop. And I said to the state trooper, I said, do you know where I can find an RV park? He said, there's one 100 yards down the road on your left. All the places I could have broken down. God put me right where I needed to be. He came, hooked me up told me in that the couple that owned the park weren't there. So when they came, I told them, oh, this is why I'm here, you know. Uh, and they were gracious about it. And uh, I called a couple, Nancy Cook calls me back and says, Brother Dan, i got a couple of Baptist churches in the area. Here's the phone numbers. 
Now, being a missionary, trying to schedule meetings with Baptist preachers, I can tell you, trying to get a hold of a Baptist preacher by phone is like trying to get a hold of a wet catfish. The first number I call, I get the preacher. I said, I said this is who we are. This is what has happened. His name is Brother Scott. He said, uh, Brother Dan, he said, uh, tomorrow was Sunday. He said, Brother Dan, I'll be there tomorrow morning to pick you and your family up for church. And then on Monday, we have a guy in our, our church who will tow your fifth wheel to our church property. We have hookups on the property. I called the preacher for that Sunday meeting in Arkansas, explained our situation. No problem, Brother Dan. We'll schedule for the next Sunday and the next week. <clears throat> so we had a meeting that Wednesday at the church where we were parked. And then the next Sunday, we went to the church. We were scheduled that the week before and had several get saved during the service. Are you seeing a pattern here, folks? Is this exciting or what? And I want to say something. If, if you knew me and my family, if you were the fly, proverbial fly on the wall, you'd be like, God is never going to call these guys. I often joke, you know, why would God use somebody like me? I often joke that, you know, God was looking down, looking for somebody, and he couldn't find anybody, and there was I over in the corner. I'll go, I'll go. And God was like, kept looking, kept looking. I'll go, I'll go. Kept, uh, finally, said, all right, we'll take this one. I'll, but I'm saying that to say this. If God will use me and my family, he'll use anybody. I'm not saying that to be modest. I'm being honest. The difference is, are you willing to yield your life fully to Christ so he can call you to the work he has for you, and then are you willing to step out on faith and go? I'm going to share with you something right now. Since we started nearly seven years ago, we've seen over 1,100 people accept Christ as their Savior. That probably wouldn't have happened if we hadn't surrendered to go. And it's not us, it's God. God is sovereign. He calls, he equips, he provides. He just needs you, the empty vessel. But he can't carry the water without the vessel. I've got, I'm only into the first year of our ministry. And I have to wrap it up here. But my challenge to you is this. Are you willing to yield everything to Christ? And then watch him do the amazing things through you that he's done through others. My family's not extraordinary. We're not holier than thou. We're not special in any way. We just answered God's call. You know, every single person in here who is saved has a call in their life for ministry. Do you know that? God didn't save you to warm the pew. He called you to do a work. He's also equipped you with spiritual gifts. Do you even know what they are? If you're somebody who doesn't know what your spiritual gifts are and you, you don't have a specific ministry God's called you to, I want to encourage you to remember 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Say, Lord, I'm sorry for the times I, I wasn't paying attention. Now I'm ready. Whatever you have for me, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, whatever you want me to give, I'll do it. Because God, you are sovereign and I'm not. Because at the end of my life, if I follow you, I'll have a lifetime of eternal rewards waiting for me in heaven because of what you did through me. Not what you do for God. That's worthless. That's filthy rags. It's what God does through you. Amen. I want to challenge you today as we wrap up the Sunday school hour. Would you yield your life fully to Christ? I pray you will. You'll be amazed at what God will do. And when we come back uh, in about uh, 10 minutes... Then we're going to share a living history present. I'm going to share a living history present.